They are. Yeah, you're right. So, um, between last night and this afternoon, I took the time and looked at your website, uh, asylumarts.com. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know more about it because is that your label? Yes. It's a record label I started for my own stuff, and then I found friends who were stuck on this idea of getting a release out. Like, they either didn't know how to, or they just didn't want to know. They wanted to focus on being an artist and producing material. And I said, yeah, I'll release your stuff. So it used to be a little more complicated now. Pretty much it's, you know, Get it mastered and polished up enough to put on CD Baby. Pay the 50 bucks. Boom. Gets distributed to all these different outlets, iTunes, Amazon, whatever, YouTube. And it's out. And from a technical standpoint, that's become a really easy process. But from a psychological standpoint, a lot of artists still struggle with making that one little jump. And so the Asylum Arts has helped the people on the label and associated with the label do that and do that more regularly. Okay. Uh, so that's what Asylum Arts is about. Nice. And, uh, and Bandcamp showed up. And, of course, now I'm like every scrap of a little cassette or anything that's around that I want to exist somewhere in case... I have more hard drive failures and <laughs> the work is wiped out forever. It exists at least somewhere. Yeah. Uh, that's become a place where now I stage everybody's stuff. And then when it's polished enough or arranged in a final form, then I'll move it to CD Baby, sort of lock in for history. Hmm. And, uh, yeah. So are you using – so what's your – what's the, the, the life of Asylum Arts now? Is it? Are you using it in co in uh, with with Bandcamp, or are you using Bandcamp a little bit more now? Uh, no, I have a Asylum Arts Bandcamp page, right? I that has it. all the different artists, and I've been porting stuff there, so it exists there as well. I never really got into SoundCloud. I do have an Audio Terrace SoundCloud where I post like maybe twenty tracks, um, but I've never really nurtured that. But with with Bandcamp, I can take a demo version. Like you mentioned, the, the Vampire, uh, Vampire's Ball, which I released. You know, I call it, I consider Bandcamp a pre release. Those aren't really full releases. Those are my pre releases. There are, all the full releases are there. But in addition, something like Vampire's Ball, where I'm not ready to put it in the CD Baby and lock it down forever. Because I think how the mastering works between track two and four is not, you know, doesn't have the right level, and I want to do an arrangement. But I want to listen to it, and I want to play it, share it with friends, so they can listen to it and say, "Oh, that's cool. He's got a, you know, something new out." Hmm. Um, and then I can pull it, and I can update those tracks. On band on uh, Bandcamp, you can say track two, mm, the the levels of the intro was off. Let me fix that. So now I'm putting the intro level in a different way, and I just hit replace track and upload the new version. Oh. So it's a it's a dynamic place where the anxiety of, oh, my God, is this the final master goes away. And I can say, hey, hey, guys, I'll put it up on Bandcamp as is right now, and then you guys can listen to it. And a year from now you say, hey, we have a new master. Great. And then we can just replace it. Where again in CD Baby you're locked in. That's that's going to be re the release forever, right. and you'll have to release a V2.0 as its own thing, as opposed to this sort of interactive space where I get to revise things. Um, so I've I found that to be really useful about Bandcamp. I didn't know that you could actually revise tracks from Band Bandcamp even after publishing. I did not know that. Yeah, because that was definitely something that I was having, you know thoughts about when I put my album out in March that you listened to that I need to get it done so I can publish it on Bandcamp and I can't publish it on Bandcamp until it's mastered and done and ready to go but now you're telling me the opposite I, I can take those tracks down and reload them okay and, and now that we're, we're living in the streaming universe it's a whole different game than I'm releasing this 
So it's locked in. You're going to download the files or you're going to get a physical media, whether it's CD or unbelievably cassette. <laughs> and uh, thank you, Guardians of the Galaxy. And uh, <laughs> um, whatever your whatever way you're going to approach that, I find I'll release something and then go later, oh, you know, track two actually should have been track three. Like the flow would have been a little better. I want time. I don't want to have that anxiety hanging over me. I want time to explore that. So quite often with Bandcamp, I don't try to sell on Bandcamp. Uh, I haven't marketed the stuff on Bandcamp because it's been a way for me to post things and me say to a friend, hey, listen to the new album. What do you think? And them say, oh, track two is a little, you know, low on the mid bit or, you know, the song order is a little off and I go back or I'm listening in the car and I can go, yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. I think four, track four would be better positioned there and then just go up to the computer. Not only can you replace the track that you've uploaded, but you can shift the song order. So you're essentially like, wow pre-mastering maybe not final mastering but you're pre-mastering by thinking about song order and levels and this song flows into that song uh, better and I, I just use it for myself to listen to the albums while I'm finalizing it and to do that before I would have to go okay now I gotta fire up the old Mac and is that a power PC by the way no uh, that's, that's, uh, that's a Mac Pro yeah but do you know what, what year? Uh, 2009. 2009. So it's 10 years old. Got it. Because uh, I have a the quad power PC in the similar case. Okay. Um, like, oh, i got to fire up that because that's got a CD burner. <laughs> right? It's like most of my stuff yeah. doesn't have CD burning yeah. capability. So I'm going to go burn that, and I'm going to do an arrangement in iTunes or an order, and then I'm going to burn the CD, and then I'm going to put it in the car. Now, when I'm working through something, I go up to Bandcamp, create an album. You can publish it just for yourself. You don't have to publicly publish it. That's true. Yeah. And I can set it up, upload the tracks, rearrange it, say, I think this is it. And then stream it in my car. So no longer have to have a stack of CDs that I'm burning through yeah. for my, my mock-ups. And uh, I don't have to keep that old machine going. It's just liberated me. So I, I'm a huge fan of how Bandcamp is designed. And everything you do in Bandcamp, to do it is obvious. Like to replace the track on a track, there's a word that says replace. <laughs> and that might sound simple, but I've struggled for a year with Spotify. I haven't even not even gotten into Spotify yet. It's like, am I in my album account? Am I in my artist account? In my, and what I finally realize is internally to Spotify, they're thinking themselves as Facebook. Hmm. So they're seeing themselves not as a content developer releasing. They see themselves as fans of music who are interacting. Oh. Because I'm like, why is this so difficult? This should be brain easy. CD Baby is dead easy. Bandcamp is dead easy. Are you familiar with Balanced Breakfast? I'll give a shout out there as well. I don't know them. Um, so Balanced Breakfast started in San Francisco several years ago. Stefan and a buddy of his were having breakfast, and they, so they called this music community Balanced Breakfast. Uh, it's exploding uh, both nationally and internationally. With communities so one uh, twice a month in san francisco now once a month in san jose napa has one now oakland has one i think now seattle has one and austin has one and i think there's in bogota colombia now they are just once a month or twice a month get togethers where people that do anything related to music get together for two hours wow and the san francisco one usually has a guest speaker the san jose one it turns out uh, the reboot that I went to, we're doing a book club. So we're reading Ari Hershen's The New Music Business. And we're going to do a report out on the 22nd, I think. And so it's a great 
group. There's a lawyer sitting here. There's a, a standard singer performer there. There's kind of punk band there. And we might be listening to someone tell the story of their music career, much like we're doing today. Yes. Or it might be, hey, everybody, we're going to do an exercise. Um, fold this piece of paper this way. Write on this piece what you hope to achieve this year, whatever. Yeah. And that community interaction has been fantastic. Now, I can't remember why I went off that tangent direction. Uh, we're talking about Bandcamp. Well, you know, oh, easy to use. Yeah, you know, easy to use versus, you know, Spotify versus Bandcamp, CD yeah. Baby. So what I've figured out with Spotify is Spotify is more like Balanced Breakfast. It's community. It's not like a more of a record label model like CD Baby or Bandcamp. And the Balanced Breakfast in San Jose had a playlist. And they said, hey, everybody, add your song to the playlist. And as a content developer, I'm thinking I'm going to go into my Spotify for Artists account, look at my library of songs, and choose one to add to their playlist because it's been opened to me as a contributor. That all made sense, right? Yeah. You can't do that. Not on Spotify. Because Spotify is customer interaction focus. So what you have to do is you have to log into your fan profile as a listener and then recommend a track to the playlist. So you have to look yourself up as a fan would look you up and then recommend you to the playlist. That's weird. And that took me hours to figure out just because it was a different um, mindset to how the tool was developed. Hmm. And I'm finding a challenge with some of the newer platforms like that because they have a, a viewpoint to how the software is designed and they're not communicating that viewpoint up front. And it's not obvious to me as a content provider. Uh, YouTube is something similar. I have my YouTube for uh, Audio Terrorist, like the Audio Terrorist official artist page. And that's a whole another journey to get an official page. And uh, how I log in to get to my videos, but then how to edit them, but then how to see it. It's like these different it's almost like having three different software applications on your desktop and you have to log into different ones to do different things. <laughs> and somehow they stitch together, but how they fit together isn't obvious. So YouTube and Spotify even more so, uh, that's the case. And uh, us as the customers have, from what I'm hearing people say is, well, you just got to learn the tool. So it's not on the software manufacturer to make the tool work it's on the, For the you. person to make it work. Yes, and, and to figure out what they're <laughs> thinking. And, and I'm, get into their mindset of who the programmer, you know, get into the mindset of that programmer, basically. Yes, and, and the company, and the company's mission. Mm. And uh, I have a <laughs> another shout-out here. I have a, a blog on Facebook off of my main page, off the Caleb Duart page called Software Sucks. And it, it literally is just there so that I can rant somewhere and I'm not ranting on my main page because I want my timeline to be focused on the music, um, like you, this podcast, Balanced Breakfast, what's kind of going on immediately in my life. But I hit this sort of software stuff all the time. So I've created Software Sucks and just <laughs> I post the frustrations over there instead. That, that's a good structure. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. Maybe, maybe maybe I'll promote that at some point, but for now it's just a par parking space. For, yeah, but I, I'm I find talking to people through Balanced Breakfast that there's a real um, there's a real need there. Uh, I'm a I'm a member of Rick Barker's. I'm not sure when my membership runs out, but an annual membership. Rick Barker's a guy who does like how to do social media for artists. Hmm. You know, you pay him several hundred bucks and then every week you get to log in for a couple hours and listen in and ask questions and his focus is on the music business like if you want to be a pop star this is how you do that and he 
feels you should go figure out how to do things. Like that's not his job. So he'll quite often say to the artist, look, Spotify just changed what they're doing last month. I can let you know things have changed, but I'm not going to teach you how to do that. What I'm going to teach you is how to write, that you need to write your story and your story is what you sell these days, not your music. So that's the level he's operating at. The level in between, the how to use these tools, uh, there seems to be a real gap there. Like some people just intuitively get it, I guess, because maybe they use Spotify as a customer, so they know how it works. Um, but doing Google searches, looking at the help files on the platforms, I find there's a real gap there. And I, uh, iOS, same thing. It went from this very simple, intuitive, and to now I have to double finger flick up here to go there. And then <laughs> when I should just be able to click and it happens. So I find UI design right now for us working on music and interacting with all this technology is, uh, I personally believe, is going through some challenges. A little off topic maybe, but... Uh, That's okay, man. This is, you know, this podcast is very informal and I'm open to going off on different things to understand what's going on in the music industry and what's going on online, you know. It's, well, I'm open to all these all these ideas. Cool. That's, that's great because I think that the time back to the modular synth and the scene that we are at last night, yeah. it's the same story. We're wanting to interact in ways that are fulfilling. And UI software designed for artists, some of it works extremely well, like Bandcamp and Spotify and YouTube are like these really powerful Swiss army knives with no manual or, or maybe there's different teams that all own different parts of it and they're not, they don't have a good relationship internal at the company and the customer is then feeling that secondhand. It's probably set, set up in different teams and those teams are not, you know, interacting with each other to make sure that things are working together for the customers and, and the musicians themselves. And, and, my, I, and I think it shows. In my corporate life, uh, I was getting flown out to the East Coast a couple years ago for a software team because there was a software company that bought out another software company, and they were merging their training documentation database systems. And it just wasn't working. And I went into the room, and this was when I got exposed to the agile math method of project management but software design and development. And I could just see the dysfunction. And I could see that the model, I could see the pros in the model and why Agile has been sold, but I could also see that it wasn't working on the ground. It was like a good theoretical model, I guess like a communist farming or something, <laughs> but you, you know, it just didn't really work for the peasant. Yeah. And uh, so I think there is movements within software development and design that is helping to drive this disconnect. Um, and the, again, tying that back to modular sense, what I see is I ended up with this box that is a sampler, a synthesizer, da, da, da. it's so deep with so many of this, that, and the other thing, and a complex UI, the motif. It can do everything, kind of, if you can figure it out, hold, shift, press, da. that with a modular, you get this direct. Here's an oscillator. Is it a sine wave? Is it a sawtooth? You know, you now have access to that. You know what that is. You can wrap your head around that. Um, so I'm not sure who's going to come along in the software space and and turn this around. But there's there's an opportunity, much like moving to modulars from all-in-one mega keyboards uh, to, to sort something out. And anybody who does that, that would be like the new platform, boom. Because it would be so easy for everybody to work with. And I, I'm hoping I, Apple is starting to figure that out. Because um, the new iOS is, to me, is more like my motif. It's, it's so complicated to use, so there's no entry point. You want to give an iPhone to your parent, and it used to be, 
oh, there's your phone. There's that. There's that. Yeah, it was limited. But it did a lot more than a regular phone. But now telling your parent, you got a double flick here or three finger pinch here <laughs> and then side swipe here. It gets too complicated or too powerful. It gets super powerful but detached from the creative interaction. Uh, so I, I see these sort of trends and whatnot and I think about that stuff as well. Just <laughs> the band. I think it's a very valid point because, you know, just by example, uh, my father, he got his first iPhone. He had a flip phone. He called. He 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 had a, a flip phone for decades, and he never wanted a smartphone. And he would call it his Scotty Beam Me Up phone, because he was a big fan of Star Trek. And finally, cool. he got he he had to upgrade because of the company was saying we don't make flip phones anymore. You have to get a smartphone. So he got one. You know, he he got the iPhone eight. He had it. He got it this year. My dad's seventy-one, and I'm always the I'm I'm you know out of his his sip his his children. I'm the tech one. Whenever he has a tech question, he calls me. So I far, know that one. Yeah. <laughs> so far, with his iPhone, he's actually not calling me. Nice. He's actually learning it. Okay. And I'm really surprised about that and impressed that instead of him saying, hey, show me how to do this, he's figuring it out. That's good. That's, that's good to know. It's really, it's really good. Like, my dad's a very smart man, but he's never been a technology guy. You know, he's, my dad could, did, uh, he was a general contractor. He did construction his entire life here in San Francisco. And for him to be able to take an iPhone and just start to learn and understand how it works and be able to to go through the, the apps without having to call me every other day is very impressive. It's, you know, the as you described that, my, my critique of iOS, the current iOS, very good point. My father had me look at his flip phone just the other day. And he said, it's not powering on. What do I do? <laughs> and I'm like, well, let's hold the red dash button here that, I think is also second as a power button and it powered up and I said oh 23 messages how do you get to you know scroll down left right and I was like okay yeah on an iPhone yeah. you're going to tap phone messages done easier, easier. Um, and I'd say that those are the core functionalities that were there from the beginning with iOS and you're right as long as you stick to that those spaces um, they have retained that simplicity that's true. Like he's not using a lot of, a lot of the apps that probably you and I are, and other people are using. Where, you know, I'm using something like Core Gadget to create music for fun. You know, he's not doing anything like that. He's using email and hit the, you know, and actual actually calling people and maybe texting finally, mm-hmm. which is you know, which is simple stuff and it's easy to figure out. So, that that's a good point. Now. With uh, me, the most recent one is I could swear the weather app, you could swipe the cities at the top. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they swipe, sometimes they don't. Yep. But I go down to the bottom where there's little dots, one dot per city, and it swipes back and forth fine. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about. Exactly. If, I, if I show my parent, and oh, you swipe this way and it works once, but it doesn't work the second time, right? then they're like, okay, game over. Yeah, it's those added details into those apps that create dilemmas. Mm-hmm. Which is, again, relating back to all what we've just talked about with uh, Spotify versus Bandcamp. And Modular versus Acid Pro. Sometimes you just want to go through a list of beats and go, I like that beat, paint. Yeah. You don't want to go down and figure out the dyes that are going to create green in your, your Legos. Legos. Um, and you're okay with, okay, 50 other bands might use that same beat as opposed to in a modular situation where you're creating something completely unique to you because you built it from the ground up. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, the good news is we have all these toys and tools to play with. Yeah. Whether some are frustrating or what level you're playing with them, we certainly are swimming in a uh, 
a cornucopia of opportunity. Yeah, and I think as we, uh, we I think we both mentioned last night in our conversation is there's the technology is is vast, and now it's up to the artist to decide on what amount of it do they really want to use. How much of it do they need to be that creative? And what is my goal? Yeah. Which tool? I'm not. Gonna, I'm going to use a hammer for one thing. I'm going to use a saw for another thing. Not only do you have this range of tools, a whole toolbox to play with, and then you can say, well, all those tools are available to me at a low cost. And that's the biggest thing I've seen. I mean, we were talking about, I think I mentioned hard drives and we did. storage space. I see someone setting up the, the gear, whether it's a modular that's in, in simply um, you're not worrying about storage space and playback latency and whatnot. You put up your box, you get it power, and you go. And I see artists maybe like the 90s oh my god okay is the real to real tape deck gonna snap during the middle of this show like the early nine inch nails they used a, a task cam four track cassette mm-hmm. player for the backing time and he goes yep he goes they had a stack of cassettes like queued up to different songs like okay this one's queued up to the first song this one's queued up to the second this queued up to the third so if it snaps in the middle of the second song we can scrap the song pop in cassette starting at number three and get going with the show continue <laughs> the show say so, oh sorry technical problem next song yeah um, um this example um but we, we don't i don't feel that no, worry it's, it's totally anymore. different now yeah it is like i'm reading a book uh i'm reading thomas dolby's book the speed of sound and in the in one of the first two chapters he's talking about playing a show where he's using you know a sampler i forget which which model it was at the time but um He's basically saying that using the sampler, it takes like 56 seconds to load the sample. So he got really good at creating interludes, talking to the audience while it loaded to yeah, make to yeah. play the next song. Yeah. And it, now that's not a problem anymore. Is that a recent book? Uh, 2016. 2016. Okay, yeah, that's pretty pretty recent. Yeah. I should pick that up. Um, he's he's always a brilliant and insightful person who has his finger in the pulse of things it was really um it was really a, a real treat that i got to uh, sit in on his his panel at synthplex back a couple months ago that was I really neat just last week and watched that interview with him from synthplex oh yeah there was on youtube i was just scanning around and i'm like oh thomas dolby at synthplex and he was just talking about where he thinks the technology is going and whatnot i think i was in the room uh, this was like outside in a garden, in front oh, of a hedge, kind of, you know, one oh, of totally these different. sort of, okay. yeah, it wasn't at, it was probably, uh, you know, some video journalist cornered him or something. <laughs> um, that's cool. You got to be on that panel. It was very nice. Uh, it was actually very, it was an early morning, Saturday, it was a Saturday morning panel. So I think it was at like maybe 9 a.m. Mm-hmm. So there was maybe like 10 people in there. <laughs> Musicians. Yeah. <laughs> it was good though. I, uh, well, I want to talk about that a bit more, and then I wanted to mention or open up a new topic around introversion, okay. being an introvert. I uh, became a fan a few years ago of Ross. <laughs> you got those of Ross? Yep. Wow. You just have to uh, watch the trends. It's pretty impressive. It's like seasonal and uh, like in... Near Sausalito, that's where you get all your corporate stuff. Mm-hmm. San Rafael, um, San Francisco, over over by the mall, has a big big selection of stuff. So stuff comes through. So yeah, Th- well this was a guess, but this shirt, Ross, these pants, Ross. Um, it's like they ch- people try or a fad comes through, and it doesn't work out or whatever, and they dump it at Ross. So I just kind of watched when the Appalette thing became a thing, and I'd go to Ro- every Ross in the Bay Area that I'd pass by, <laughs> I would stop in, and it's obvious they kind of dump them in different demographics. Mm-hmm. 
And once you kind of get the pattern, you can find all sorts of cool stuff. That's cool. And go through and be like, nope, not this one. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. Um, so you're talking about introversion. Um, well, I wanted to do a, a brief shout out about Synthplex because I got contacted. I'm helping a buddy of mine in Paris run his software company, and it's uh, famous for uh, sound design software called Metasynth. It came out originally in the 90s and won some electronic music magazine awards. It has grown into being a sampler, synthesizer, DAW, all in one. And uh, its claim to fame in the early 2000s was that Aphex Twin used an image of his face as uh, one of the image samplers. Because one of the modules in this unit is it synthesizes from sound from image. Oh. And uh, the rumor was that if you played that song in Winamp <laughs> and it did its sound frequency analysis, it would paint his face. Wow. I don't know if that was actually true, but um, I'm now helping run the company. And uh, I I got a, a customer who's like, hey, I'm, I'm down at Synthplex. I got a booth. You want me to promote you guys? And I said, well, we're not modular. I said, ah, oh, yeah, but you're kind of like modular on a laptop. Okay. Wow. Um, so we, we did get represented at Synthplex, and now I'm aware of Synthplex, and I was curious to find out from you uh, as a panelist and as a, a customer, is Synthplex focused on modular synths, or was it more broad than that? It was more broad than that. Um, there were definitely companies there that were purely uh, modular, like Make Noise was there and a few others, and... But there was m more than that. You know, Moog was there, Roland was there, Korg was there. The, all the big companies that are that do synthesizers were there. But all all the independent companies that are now that we know as modular are were there too. You know, a lot a lot of the mainstream ones were there. Um, Bookla was there, so there was a lot of variety out there. Uh, I I ran into companies I modular companies I had never heard of. I saw samples um, of of a uh, software I'd never heard of. It was really fantastic. I, I was talking with um, uh, Rick Havoc, and he he's a guy down down in L.A. and he's you know he's jumped from doing Waldorf to many other companies now, and and he's a really fantastic guy that has been in, in the music industry for so long that and, and worked for many different companies so he knows the in, inner workings of all these different companies so he's and he, he helped I actually uh, skyped with him a, a couple months ago he helped me out with a with a you know a troubleshooting issue I had with some of my, my modular stuff which is really great and be and beyond that there was there every every day there were panels panel after panel of people in the industry doing doing fantastic things that I had no idea what was going on in, in, you know, until I was there. So, for example, Alan Howarth, I'm sure you, uh, you know his name. It's um, familiar, but I don't know. John Carpenter, uh, um, he does oh, all. Oh, that's right. He, he's, he's a composer for John Carpenter. Yeah. So, you know, he's redone, you know, he's been working with him for decades now, and he's redone a lot of the music and re-released things. He had his own little booth. But also, on Saturday morning, he did his own, he had a, his own panel, where he talked about the frequency of the body and where the frequencies are and it it's really fantastic he did a history yes he did yeah. you know the the brain the neck the shoulders down to the groin the hips and he described every single one in this chart and that he even did a study with with a, a writer who was who he had studied and they got together and the did a study where the the uh, the the uh, I, it was really fantastic. He talked about and showed uh, photos at his panel about renting a pyramid so that they could go into the king's chamber and measure it to see if it was measured to the right frequencies of the universe, and it was. Hmm. It was really fascinating stuff. Hmm. He's actually been working on an app so that musicians can. Use this app, one to to uh, make their music to the right to the frequency of the body 
which is more tonally uh, adapted to the human ear. I am a big believer in creating technologies that allow artists not to have to stumble around and take X number of years to achieve a goal. Um, some people are very anti that. Oh, to play a violin, you need to you know spend your life to learn how to play a violin. To play this synthesizer, you need to invest a year of your life to learn the synthesizer. And if you make it easier, you're just spoiling the whole thing. And I firmly disagree. If you want to learn, spend your whole life learning how to play violin, do that. It's available to you. But if I quickly want to bash out for this month's West Coast Songwriters event, a new track, a new bed track, for me to do a vocal and a lyric, I, I don't want to spend six months just for that three-minute presentation. Yeah. Uh, West Coast Songwriters is, a, is like a song contest monthly. So there's a bunch of them around the Bay Area. You show up, you do your song, um, some semi-famous people, some famous people sit down as a jury and say, oh, you have really good lyrics. Uh, I like that vocal melody there. And you get feedback and go back and revise your song. I want to, every month, crank out something new for that. It makes perfect sense for me to go into Acid Pro and go, okay, here's it's in, I have a bunch of categories. Here's country, here's industrial, whatever. Well, I'm going to do a, a Franco-Latin beat song t this month. Boom, boom. Get my Lego box out and build this Lego song. Maybe that song won't be as good as a song that if I learned how to play Spanish guitar as a five-year-old would be. But it gives me another option, another tool. So it's great here that Synplex wasn't like, oh, we're the cult of modular, only modular is real. It sounded like it was more broad to say, hey, rather than figuring that tone to get the hips moving, I'm going to give you a tool, and it's going to lay out all the tones. And the argument could be, oh, now everybody knows exactly how to make hips move. And so the world's going to be flooded with all these crappy songs that make hips move. Yeah, and... People like that. And, and, and if people like that, that's fine. And just why, if you, if there's a C of that, figure out how to be the guy that does it even better. Right. This is a new tool so you don't have to stumble around if you don't want to. There is value in stum stumbling around because you, you might discover something otherwise you wouldn't. But someone comes along, does the research, creates a new tool, my wallet's going to open and I'm going to go, Give me that tool. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And that, that's a great point. Uh, yeah. Synthlex was, it was the first one ever, and I really enjoyed it. I, I got in as a, a volunteer photographer for the event. So I ran around and just made myself as available as I could. Like last night, as you saw me run around doing yeah. photography for everybody, just, I'm there to photograph. So I did. And I got in, I, I would, any panel I got into, I made sure I'd get in there. If it was someone, if it was a famous person that I knew was going to be popular, I made sure to get there ahead of time so I was going to get a front seat so I'd be right there so I could be as close as you and I are sitting together so I can photograph that person because I'm using a 50 millimeter, uh, a 50 millimeter prime lens. So I don't have any zoom, you know, it's like, it's, it's a portrait lens. So I have to be kind of close to get, you know, that nice crisp 1.4 aperture shot. But I did, and it was a lot of fun. So you came in, you made yourself valuable to everybody, and you ended up on the panel with Thomas Dolby. How did you end up on the panel? Well, I wasn't on the panel. I just showed up for it. Oh, I thought you were sitting on the panel. No, no, no. Okay. No, I didn't sit. I wasn't on any panels. I just but showed as up a for his panel as the Got photographer. Got it. So... So, for example, like, you know, for, for him, I went in, I sat up really close so I could get photographs while he was talking, and then when his panel was done, I made, I came up and said, and, and presented myself, I'm a photographer for the event, may I take your photograph? And he said, yeah, sure. So, got his photograph, got, um, and, oh, was it, uh, Tom Holkenberg, of course, and his panel was massive. Uh, Tom Holkenberg is a, uh, he, he, he composes soundtracks. Like, yeah. it's 
and his panel is huge. Like they made the they had to expand a room wow. for his panel. It was so popular, and I had actually been in the I was in that room for the previous panel because it was it was a good panel and. And uh, I also knew it was Tom Hulkenberg afterwards, so I figured, okay, I'll get my seat now in the front seat, so I will, I'm only six feet away from the stage where he's sitting, so that I can make sure that I get this seat, because every seat in here is going to be taken, and it was. If people were standing in, you know, lining the room, it was so popular. And that was, that, you know, that, that was a lot of fun. Wow, but, that's you know, cool. But I've been doing photography for 20 years, so and I've gotten accustomed to not being shy anymore because I was a shy person for a long time but as a photographer and getting to know people and and it's it's something where you end up being a director is being a photographer if you're working with if you're working, work, working with people you're telling them if you're working with models you're telling them how to pose so basically you're directing them and you're doing that if you're taking a portrait of a family you're telling them how to stand so that you they get the best results and are happy with with the product. So I'm out there, and I'm not shy anymore. I'm really not. So as you saw last night, I'm running around going, "Hey, here's my podcast. Here's my sticker for for to everybody in the room." And then I'm also passing out stickers to Peaked for everybody in the room, saying, "We're doing this next week Wednesday. Come on out, check it out." So that's what I do. Describe Pete a little bit more. I'm I'm going to be in San Jose next week, but uh, is it monthly? So Peaked is monthly. My friend Rich Hogben and I started it. He, he I, I was holding a uh, a beer tasting actually here, maybe in I think it was December last year. Mm-hmm. So he and I, we've known each other for a few years because my girlfriend used to work at the same company, Supply Frame, with him, and he and I uh, always were into music. And photography together so we always had that connection and then I, re- I ran into him again last year at resident and so we, we reconnected over music and he was and he came over he and I had a good jam session last year where we he brought his modular set I and we played together had a good time and then I had a, a beer tasting here where we opened up a lot of aged beers and yeah, it was maybe 10 people and he said hey man I have a question yeah how long can a beer age and still be drank? <laughs> You'd be surprised. I have three I've not opened, and I've been scared to open. Some are, one has got to be 10 years. Depends on the variety. Is it a stout or a porter? I think they're all towards a stout porter. Then they're going to age pretty good. If they're lighter beers? All right. Then we're, we're, I think we need to plan a future event. <laughs> okay. If they're lighter beers, they're not going to age as well. But contrary to belief, a lot of beers actually age very well. If they have more hops in them, they won't age as well. Mm. Hops doesn't age well. But if a malts does. Got it. Cool. I've been holding on to these three bottles. You should just throw them in the trash. They're not going to no, be no, good. No, no. And and like something in me says hold on to them. One is it's called cuir, which is leather in French. And... One is the abyss. What year? It, it's got to be ten years ago. It was. It's, it's over seven years ago. It's good. And I know that they didn't make it for a few years, and then they made another one. And I had opened that more recent one, but I think this is pretty sure this is the older one. And the other one, I've been a connoisseur of the abyss from Deschutes Brewing Company for, yeah. since two thousand eight. I think this is a two thousand eight. It's, it's good. It's it's gotta it's, it's gotta be. I bought it in Oakland, and I, well, when I lived in Emeryville, which was six and a half years ago, so it's at least seven years. You know, if you come over to my place, we could do a flight of that. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, I think I found the guy. We can have the bottle, have some people yeah. over, do tasting, um, and then the third one <laughs> is a saison. I can't remember the company. Okay. But uh, all right, we got we got to follow up on. So it's called Peak. Peaked. Uh, P-I-Q-U-E-D. Okay, as, and it's as the peaked interest. second Wednesday of every month. It's uh, the th- it's the third, third Wednesday. Third Wednesday of every, of every month. month. 
So yeah. I need to check my calendar for that. Please. You guys all check your calendar as well. <laughs> yeah, it's and, uh, uh, the third weekend. It's the third uh, Wednesday of every month, and this is only our third one. So we've only been doing it for three months now. And so Rich and I put it together. He said, hey, I, I work at, you know, since he works at Supply Frame, and it's a company that that is very much into electronic music because that company is, is uh, from Serbia. So they're already into electronic music. So he's actually played um, shows for his company in Serbia before doing his Madra set. And he's got, you know, he's got his uh, stuff up on Sound, uh, SoundCloud. And Rich is a phenomenal musician. He, he creates excellent music. And he just recently got his, his wife, Anna, into playing music. And she started up a band camp, too. And, she, and she's only playing in OPZ. And she's making great music. Playing in what? OPZ. Um, you'll have to look it up. <laughs> OPZ, okay. It's a tiny little piece. It's a tiny little, little equipment that, that you can do almost anything with. Um, huh. The predecessor to the OPZ was the OP1. And you and basically on and either of these pieces, you can create an entire album worth of music. It is, it's an all-digital piece that can fit in your breast pocket. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, the OP1, it goes for $1,000. The OPZ goes for about 600 And wow. they're phenomenally fantastic pieces. For example, the company that makes it is Teenage Engineering. And this is the pocket operator, the KO uh, sampler. Looks like an old pocket calculator. It does. But if you turn it on, Oh my! Oh, the battery's died. Never mind. But basically, <laughs> the bane of our technical existence. But this one here, this is really fun because you—it's got beats in it and samples. So basically, the Ko sampler is designed so that you can actually speak into that microphone, sample your voice or any other piece of audio, and tweak it. This and this thing is like fifty of... bucks. As you've probably figured out, I'm I'm really good with side stories. I like the side stories. So, uh, my mother now has my iPhone, is it a 5S? I've got the 7 Max here, and uh, I wanted to extend its life. I'm really big on recycling and, you know, making sure technology continues to get used and not dumped in a trash bin. So, Christmas a few years ago, I decided... The battery is not charging very well in this thing. It drains pretty fast. So it obviously needs a new lithium battery. I'm the son of an auto mechanic. I can do this. So I got the kit online, sat down, opened up the case, and said, I'm replacing this lithium battery. How hard could this be? Hard. And the reason it was hard is because things are so small. Peeling of the battery, no problem. The screws took 20 minutes per screw <laughs> to find the thread because it was so subtle. So the technology, what you can pack into a small space, I became painfully aware of how much we can pack in a small space. And inside that phone was 50% battery. Everything wow. was incredibly small in there. Was using Torx? Yes. Not surprised. And the cable for the battery to snap into the motherboard, you could not visually see any connector. That is frustrating. And us at middle age, you were getting on the reading glasses. I had like three layers of reading glasses and a magnifying <laughs> glass to see this texture of two pieces what felt like mylar. And all of a sudden... You push just right, and all of a sudden you felt click. But I could not visually tell you what had clicked. But the the you know components had clicked together. You yeah. could feel a little snap. So I look at this thing that looks like just the motherboard of an old pocket calculator and realize, my God, that's a big IC right there. It's a visual display. It's a sampler. Yeah. What you can pack on a single chip is incredible. It really is. I, uh, so the, the pocket operators, there's a series of these. This is the sampler, there's a Beats, and, and there's a variety of them. 
and they range from like 50 to 100 bucks so they're very affordable and you know this these came out a couple years ago and they're and they're really fun and then a buddy of mine that I work with he's got a seven-year-old son now and so last year I bought one for him for his kid and said hey man give this to your kid for for his for Christmas or his birthday so he when he came over on Friday last week he brought his he had the beats I got him the beats one and this kid had programmed like four phenomenal beats by himself seven years old and he's <laughs> into it <laughs> and, it's like, and, and he can release that album he totally internationally could. tomorrow yeah in 24 hours that kid is amazing because you know who knows what what we could have done with that technology when we were children mm-hmm. but he's doing it now and i'm you know i don't have kids but you know i'm happy to do it on my friend's kid and it make it just warms my heart the fact that he's into it and he, and he likes it and he's happy and he's making cool beats that's cool uh, and and he cut his teeth on technology um i've been thinking about the bay area a lot having lived south east north um in the city and how we swim in technology here yes we do and uh, i took a my girlfriend and i just took a brief vacation up into canada and we went to banff never heard of the place it's in the middle of the it's in the rockies the canadian rockies and man i didn't feel any technology (laughs) (laughs) i felt like yeah okay uh this is a vacation and i come back to the bay area and it's like you know, a cookie crumb falls out of someone's mouth and there's a chip in it. And, you know, it's, 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 it's really embedded there. And now also taking over, uh, you and I software and it was originally founded in San Francisco, but, uh, the creator is French and he moved back to Paris. So I've taken on the mantle of being the San Francisco face of the company. And I am just fascinated by, working with a company that started in the 90s is giving me this mirror to where we are now. And I'm looking at the company going, well, hmm, we don't have any plugins. We don't have any iOS apps. What could we do with that? What we could, could we do on that, that chip? Um, mm-hmm. So seeing this device, for all you guys, it literally looks like just a little thin... Imagine like two credit cards stitched together with a couple knobs and a screen. Yeah. And you're saying it. he's, you know, building drum tracks. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. For 50 bucks. Yeah. It's, it's really impressive. Mm. Speaking of San Francisco, I'd like to keep this podcast going because I think we're just connecting on so many different levels. And we have a future beer t- tasting already planned. I don't we know if that do. will be in the podcast because you guys won't get to taste it. But you know what? We could sip it and tell you how good or how bad it is. <laughs> um, but in San Francisco, finding a parking space is so difficult. I think it's like only one in five cars in San Francisco can stop. There's only space for it to stop. So in the 90s, I remember... The, the uh, statistics said that there were, what was it? Uh, basically it was saying that there was maybe, for every car, there was, there was maybe, there's, there's one space for every third car, okay. something like that. And it, it was already so a the problem. Other it was already two a, out of three have to be in motion. It was already a problem over 20 years ago. You know, right. the parking situation, and still getting worse, as, as you know, uh, and as we all the, know. The fact that you have a, a two-car garage, which I will have to figure out how to back into oncoming traffic and a, con, and a construction reroute, <laughs> which means they're right on the curb, will be interesting. Um, but I literally have to wrap up today because i got to get back to my girlfriend's place because after 4 o'clock, forget it. Everybody comes home, every parking space is filled, and I would have to, like, maybe park at BART and take an Uber. (laughs) 
and leave the car in a BART garage overnight is probably not a good thing. No. Well, Caleb, if you got to go, man, that's okay. We can always do a part two. I, I think that's uh, in order, and uh, I w- would love to dig into some of those toys next time. Sure. You can um, do that. I, I'm, I've enjoyed the push and live and whatnot, but I am finding that I just feel like I'm on my laptop enough. Yeah. That now the gear is starting to pull you away from the laptop. Yes, you can run the nuclear arsenal and produce an album on your laptop, but there is this tactile thing, and I'm looking around this room of a bunch of knobs and toys. And There's a phenomenal uh, musician by the name of a Musical Fungus that I had play. I had booked him to play at Peak for the very for uh, our first show. He came. He he lives in like Santa Cruz, and he came up and he does all you know all synth, you know all, all modular stuff. You know, between, he's got a booklet easel and he's got all these great modules. A lot of this stuff, I think, is is uh, he uses a lot of uh, musical, uh, was it um, mutable instruments? Is the modules is some of the stuff, and then make noise, of course, because math is a big piece of his his projects. But musical fungus really creates modular music in a in a way that sounds organic. Mm. And, and he sounds familiar. I don't he know. If, has he stuff. played it resonant? No, I've never heard. I've never seen him play a resident. He's played a resident frequency. Oh, resident though. frequency. He's That's played there a couple times. Yeah. Yeah. So you may have I, seen. He him. may have played that night that I that I was there. He may have. Because like, the name sounds familiar, and I remember a guy getting up there a little later on that was playing this very organic uh, thing. Yeah, you may have seen his performance. Yeah. He's really it, good. It, isn't that incredible that you like you can get this device, you can explore it. And you think, oh, this is what it can do. It. I got an oscillator, a high pass filter, blah 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 blah. And this is what it can do. And you'll create something with it. And you'll see someone take the same technology, and what comes out is completely different. And you yes. go, how much is what I'm perceiving of this technology, the tech, and how much is me? It's a big question, and it is ongoing. We'll leave it there for part two. Sounds good. Thank you, Caleb. Mm. Sorry, I was finishing the beer. Thank you, (laughs) Corey. Is that?
You are gone. 
Of your heart. 